This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for GoBundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. I am extremely excited about today's episode with Gay Hendricks. He has served for more than 40 years as one of the major contributors to the fields of relationship transformation and body-mind therapies. He is a New York Times bestselling author, and his books include Conscious Loving, The Big Leap, and more recently, The Genius Zone, The Breakthrough Process to End Negative Thinking and Live in True Creativity. An excellent, excellent read. I recommend all of them, of course. Gay Hendricks, welcome. Thank you so much, Jamie. It's a real pleasure to be here. True pleasure is mine. Trust me on that. I've been uh, waiting and, and uh, anticipating this interview for so long. So thanks to Dr. Richard Schuster for setting us up. Uh, uh, it's been a, it's a gift to have you here. I want to start. I mean, look, in my world, if you haven't heard of the big leap, I don't know where you've been, but you know, some <laughs> folks out there may not have. But I want to kind of start foundationally with the concept. Can you just kind of give the you know the overview of what is the big leap, and then we'll kind of build from there. Yes, the big leap is when you go from wherever you are to the place where you're doing what you most love to do in a way that makes the biggest difference for other people. So to me, the big leap of life is when you leave behind the ordinary version of yourself and you make a commitment to go into what I call your genius zone. And your genius zone has two big qualities. One, you'll know you're in it because you're loving what you're doing. Mm. Your genius zone is always made up partly of what you most love to do. The second big leap is into doing something that makes a difference, that improves the quality of lives for other people. I've worked with about 1,200 business executives now, as well as uh, many thousands of couples and just regular individual therapy clients. And one thing I've found is that happiness has a great deal to do with how much time you spend in your genius zone. There are three other zones, Jamie, that make a huge difference. You'll find them all in the big leap. One is called the zone of incompetence, where you're doing stuff you're not any good at and you don't like doing. So if you find yourself in that, get out of it as soon as possible. Do some delegating, hire an assistant, anything you can do to quit doing stuff you're not good at. It's a taxation upon your whole energy system. The second zone that people get stuck in is what I call the zone of competence, where you're doing things that you're good at, but somebody else could do them exactly as well. The third zone is where it gets really interesting because that's the excellence zone. That's when you're doing stuff you're really good at. You're probably better at it than the person next door. You're getting well paid for it usually. You're getting lots of attaboys and girls for your performance in it. People keep wanting you to do more of it. That's a sign you're in your genius zone. It sounds good on the surface, but if you stay there too long and don't tap your genius zone, you get burnout or 
rust out. It's a slower process, but it gradually eats up your creative energy. So if you spend too much time in any of those three zones, you're eating up energy that could be spent in your genius zone. And so I'm not suggesting you uh, buy a sailboat and sail off to Tahiti or go to Tibet and live in a cave for the rest of your life or anything like that to focus on your genius. I'm saying live your genius in your real world. You know, bring forth what you most love to do and bring it out now. Don't wait for later till after you retire or something like that. I want people to express their genius every day of their lives. And you can. Like here at our institute, people send, uh, like, for example, a corporation might send their CEO here to spend a day with us. Or a couple might come from another country to spend a couple of days working on their relationship with uh, Katie and me. Well, whether whether they're a movie star or a junior high teacher from the school next door, they've all got to do the same thing, which is they've got to make a commitment to changing something in their lives. And what I want everybody within the reach of my voice and my picture to do is to make a whole full body, total commitment to bringing forth more and more of your genius every day. If you will do that one thing, based on my practice of seeing thousands of people go through this process, if you can begin the process by making a heartfelt commitment to bringing forth more of your genius every day, that will serve you miraculously well. Because what that does is it opens up a gateway. And then that gateway gets more and more open by the way you keep choosing to do things in your genius zone. And it is a choice. I'll be talking to, uh, like I give lectures sometimes to uh, business organizations such as the Young Presidents Organization. I'm sure you've probably talked to them at one point or been a member of them. All of them incredibly bright people. Like with uh, YPO, I think you have to run a business that has maybe more than 50 employees or something like that. Anyway, there are criteria for getting in the door. So these are not uh, wannabes, you know, these are people that are living right in the trenches. But here's the thing that always shocks me. When I talk to them about bringing forth more of your ge- their genius, they suddenly pretend to be stupid. They, uh, my genius, what's my genius? You know, and there'll be a person, here's a Harvard MBA there trying to convince me that he doesn't have an ounce of genius in it. So that's a big barrier, that the first barrier we have to get over is disqualifying ourselves from the genius game. We think we're not smart enough, or we're not good looking enough, or, you know, we're not tremendously handsome like you and me, Jamie, Uh, movie star quality handsome, Uh, (laughs) me at 77. And uh, but however young you are, however old I am, (laughs) you know, we don't look like geniuses on the surface, you know, but I've spent 40 years carefully tuning into what mine is and also teaching other people about it. And here's what happened. I started focusing in on asking myself, you know, what is my genius? What do I most love to do? 40 years ago, long before I wrote The Big Leap. In fact, I always tell people, they ask me, how long did it take to write The Big Leap? 
And I say, well, it took uh, 30 years because I thought about it for 30 years before I sat down and took the year to write it. So what I discovered about myself early on was that I was only using about 10% of my time in my own genius zone. And as I started to tune in more and more and more to what my real genius is, and let me just say that my genius is involved in communicating really complicated things in a simple way so that everybody can use it in their lives. And I, I live across the street from a junior high school, and I've literally recruited junior high school kids over there to explain something to them to see if they understand it, you know, because it's the same thing I want to explain to the CEO of Motorola when I'm working um, there. But I want to make sure I can explain it to a seventh grader just sure. as well, you know. So, so let me tell you some heart one wisdom, not just hard one wisdom, but heart one wisdom. And that is that every one of us has this particular part of ourselves that does things that you love to do. And a good way to remember what those things are is to, in your imagination, go back to childhood and Ask yourself, what did I most love to play with? What did I like playing with so that I lost track of time? Like I tell the story in The Big Leap, I think, about how when I was five years old, I got a tricycle and it was raining in Florida outdoors, as it often does in January. And my grandmother gave me permission to ride around her big living room on my new tricycle. And the first thing I did, I got my granddad to help me set up a cardboard box over in the corner. And I commuted over to my office, which was the cardboard box on my tricycle. And I would carefully park my tricycle and climb into the box and I would sit there. And the idea was that people in my family were supposed to come tell me their problems. Now, how did a five-year-old kid in a hick town in Florida of 10,000 people come up with that idea. To me, that's because there was no psychiatrist in town or no psychologist or social workers. There were a couple of medical doctors and a chiropractor. That was about it. And somehow that had to come from inside me because my family, nobody had anything to do with the healing professions or anything like that. So to me, that's a sign that we have things within us that we are just born to do, that we are just here to do a particular thing. And my contention is once you start getting that on the line and finding out what that thing is, you're going to be a happier, more fulfilled person, and you're going to make a bigger contribution to other people's lives as you do it. That's really what the big leap is all about. It's very practical. It's how to help you, the individual. It has very precise instructions in it. It's all about how to get your movement into that genius zone. Now, the new book, The Genius Zone, that uh, Jamie mentioned, it's different from The Big Leap because imagine The Big Leap being like an eagle taking off, okay? Or, or um, you know, a beautiful airplane taking off. That's the big leap. It's the big leap into the new stratosphere you're going to. The genius zone 
is how to live there all the time, how to do the little subtle moves. Like I live in an area where there are lots of beautiful hawks, like red-tailed hawks that fly around here in the mountain valley that I live in, in California. And so I like to lay out in my backyard sometimes and just watch them circling around. And they'll be up there like 1,500 quarter mile, you know, 2,000 feet in the air. They're remarkable beings. But what they do is they circulate around in these wind currents by just making the tiniest adjustments in their wings. They don't make big flapping moves, even though they're way up there in the thin air. They're making these subtle little corrections. That's what the genius zone will help you with. So they make a good companion read. Read the big leap first and then jump into the genius zone because I, I it's a gonna, refinement. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. Big leap, a great supplement to that deeper dive is into the genius zone, the book, because it is, it's extraordinary. It's a how-to manual and it's easy to read. It's not simple, meaning there's concepts in there that you need to apply and everything, but it's a quick, easy read. It's it's chock full with great information. Uh, so yeah, highly recommend. It's funny, I, like, go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I can testify that everything in it has been certified by a junior high school student, <laughs> a couple of movie stars, a few CEOs, and a whole bunch of regular old folks. That's me. I'm in the regular old <laughs> folks uh, part, so I'm certifying it as well. But the the uh, what interests me, I, I mean, I guess language is such a key, right? Like, big leap right? Genius zone, uh, massive action, extraordinary effort. Like I know for me, some of those words make me feel, I don't know, like it's hard to start, right? Like, oh my God, like massive action to this big leap. It kind of summons uh, images of like a, a white lightning clap, like, whoa, and there it is. And ah, you step into this big leap into this genius zone. I mean, help me with that. Cause I think that a lot of people struggle with this sometimes. Like how, how do you how do you how do you walk somebody through? How do you walk me through overcoming this feeling like, oh my God, well, I, I don't know how to even, you know, is it a one-time thing? Is it just like I gotta find this one thing that I'm great at and that's it? I have one leap in my life. I better get it right. <laughs> or is this something that you know evolves over time? And you've been at it for 40 years. I'm kind of I, I I hope the question makes sense. Like the wording can sound so big. How do you get yeah. people over that? Well, thank you. I appreciate you mentioning that because that often is a barrier. Well, the way we do it here and when we go do presentations is we start with very small things. Like, for example, like here's a good way to first be able to identify what I call the physical signs of being in the genius zone. Have you ever been like when you're doing something you're really passionate about? There's a feeling of flow in your body. It's an easeful feeling, but it's also got energy to it. It feels good. And yet at the same time, it's got some kind of juice to it. You know, you, you feel like you want to do things when you're in that sweet spot. Well, that's what I want people to cultivate because when I started, I was only feeling that about 10% of my day. Once I started working on it and making the choices, and I'll explain what those are, <clears throat> I began to move or 20%, 30%. By the end of the last century, 1999, I'd gotten to the place where I was spending pretty much 100% of my time in my genius zone, doing only what I most love to do. 
it took me 20 years to get all the way there. But what the heck, you know, every year along the way, I was expanding my ability to live in my genius zone. And so for the last 20 some years, imagine I've only done the things that I most love to do and the things that make the biggest impact in the world. And so that's why, you know, how we say with the big leap, I have the best inbox in the world because every day I get emails from people and letters and things like that. And sometimes even presents from people who have taken their big leap. As a matter of fact, our mayor here in town in Ojai, California, unbeknownst to her, I live here. She did not know that, but she read the big leap and decided to run for mayor and won. And then I met her when she came to my front door to ask if they could put up a sign in my front yard. And I said, hey, I voted early. I already voted for you, you know? And uh, so we had this great connection. But anyway, things like that magic happens when you commit yourself to your genius zone, when you start asking, can I do more and more things in my genius zone? Let me be very specific. Here's a a $25,000 gift to your viewers and listeners, Jamie. Um, when corporations send their CEO here, for example, for the day, uh, it costs $25,000. And one of the first things we do is the person goes into a room by themselves and for 10 minutes just entertains the question, hmm, what do I love doing more than anything else? And then we ask them to take three easy breaths and then to repeat it. Hmm, what do I love doing more than anything else? And during those three long breaths, which take about, you know, 30 seconds for three good breaths, things come into people's minds. Or they sometimes start hearing the crosstalk, like, oh, you don't deserve that, or, uh, you know, the jabber that comes with any time you try to make a uh, personal growth move, there'll be a little Greek chorus up there made of voices you've heard growing up, you know, saying that's impossible. You can't do that. Like when I first made my big breakthrough and figured out what my genius zone was, the first thing I heard was my brother's voice in my head saying, well, great, but you could never make a living doing that. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, yeah. um, and that's the way he lives. And God bless him. He's a great person and everything. But he also runs um, an air conditioning and heating contracting business. So when you think it through, why would a metaphysically inclined person go to a CEO of an air conditioning business to ask career advice? You know, it wouldn't make any sense at all. <laughs> but we still hear those crazy kind of voices in our head. Sure, sure. You know, it's funny, you, you what you just described, there's no fat on that phrase. It, the hmm is not like a, an internal wondering that you literally coach to use that phrase. Hmm, yes. it opens up creativity for you, right? Well, yes, uh, because, uh, well, two factors. Scientifically speaking, when you hum, it connects the two sides of the brain through the corpus callosum. And so you literally unify yourself when you go, hmm. And we interject a second factor. We say, make it a heartfelt something that you really have commitment behind the question. Make mm. it a heartfelt wondering, because wonder is your secret ally as an entrepreneur. I speak to entrepreneur groups 
Uh, as a matter of fact, what's the name of your podcast? If you're not uh, no, it's Tribe of Millionaires from GoBundance. GoBundance is the group. Uh, okay, great. I knew it was something like that, but I wasn't looking at my little piece of paper here. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm assuming that I'm talking to a crowd that has at least a minimal interest in making money and making a contribution uh, to, to the world. Yeah. And so I talk to entrepreneurial groups all the time. As a matter of fact, I just actually flew to New York uh, to make a live, one of my first live talks to a group, a worldwide group of about 400 women entrepreneurs, some of the most amazing human beings I've ever met in my life. Wow. And But wonder is your superpower as an entrepreneur, because there's a tendency when things start going wonky, and they will, that's what business is about, is fixing stuff that goes wonky. I mean, that's that's a large part of what occupies your time. Right. And um, so what happens is when things start to go wonky, people start doing more and more of what isn't working. You know, they, they try harder. You know, it's like reminds me sometime of a person. I was behind a person in a customs line one time going into a foreign country. And, you know, the person in front of me couldn't get his message through, spoke with a kind of a thick German accent to somebody who was Nepal, Nepali. And so the more they didn't communicate, the louder the guy got, you know, and he's trying to. <laughs> and so that reminds me a lot of times of what I'm talking about. Like, let's say a recent example, for example, I was working with a CEO who's a very push, push kind of you know, like the halftime speech kind of guy. You know? sure, sure, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so when things start going wonky, as they often do, his solution used to be to get everybody in a room and scream at them for 45 minutes, yeah. you know? And the thing was, that felt good to him. That felt right to him. And it actually felt right to maybe seven of the 20 people in the room. The rest of them sometimes took three weeks to get over the abusive nature of his halftime speeches because they weren't all purely positively motivational. You know, he would single people out and say, you know, don't do what Gordon is doing, you know, <laughs> things like that. And yeah. so uh, one thing that in our work together with this person was so fascinating. I think you'll appreciate this and, and your audience will too, because it's kind of behind the scenes. What we found is that it wasn't the anger that people responded to and were confused by and had to recover from. He was certainly got into that. But underneath his anger, was an old longing and disappointment set of issues that went way back to where he, before he even got to be the executive of that company. And he tried to hide that behind this big wall of rah, 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 and anger and criticism and, um, you know, berating people sometimes. But underneath that, it was a heartfelt issue of loss. Hmm. Now, what do you think I did for my $25,000 day over there? You know what I did? I had him call that same group of people in, and I coached him how to say, I've been yelling at you 
out of anger to cover up the fact that I have this old deep well of humiliation and sorrow and disappointment in me. And when things don't work, I I get confused about that and what you guys are doing and put you guys on blast. Man, you should have seen that room. Oh, I mean, there were 65-year-old men with white hair and Armani suits on crying, you know, with tears running and not trying to stop it either. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's a, you know, that's a rarity and an exaggeration in a way because that doesn't happen every day. Sure. That kind of thing. But now and then when the stars are aligned right, I always say a 10-year problem can be cured with a 10 uh, with a 10-minute communication. But underneath it all, you have to feel something for 10 seconds that you haven't been willing to feel. It might be anger. It might be sorrow and sadness. It might be anxiety and fear. But underneath big, big, big problems is often something that one person hasn't yet been willing to confront. We have an algorithm here uh, Jamie, that we use that spells F-A-C-T, fact. And it stands for facing, accepting, choosing, and taking action. Hmm. And it's an algorithm for how to deal with difficult moments and moments where change is required. First, you have to face it. <sighs> My name's John, and I'm an alcoholic. <sighs> I play golf with um, a friend of mine, and he said that moment changed his whole life. Because the day before, if somebody said, you got a drinking problem, what did he say? I can handle it. And then there was that one day, I'm actually feeling tears come to my eyes because I love this guy so much. <sighs> that that's the best of life in a way when a person has that kind of realization and then charts a new course with a declaration that's a commitment. I'm John and I'm an alcoholic. I commit to not taking a drink this day. Boom. You know, that's starting at the right level. Um, that's why when the person goes into this room for the first time, they ask themselves a series of questions. The one I gave you was the first one. A second one is, hmm, what do I love to do that produces the greatest result per time spent? Per time spent. So let me give an example of how 10 seconds created 10 million. Wow. Um, I've, I've always loved movies and I've written movie scripts. And back in the 90s, I ran into at a party a big-time movie producer named Stephen Simon, who had produced a lot of movies I liked. And I'd, I didn't know until that night at the party that he had actually produced those movies. And it's a funny story how I happened to meet him, because we were all sitting around, and I hadn't met him yet. And he had recently come into the party and sat down, and everybody else seemed to know him. And so um, we got to talking about movie scores. And the subject of the movie score for the old movie, Somewhere in Time, I don't know if you remember that beautiful oh, movie okay. back in the 70s, 
with um, Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour. Oh, you got to see it. It's magnificent. It takes place at Mackinac Island. And every year for the last 50 years, people gather on Mackinac Island and celebrate that movie. And so um, the uh, I won't go into all the details, but anyway, uh, the subject of the movie score. And I said, oh, that is such a beautiful score. I wonder who wrote that. And this this guy, the, the producer, he he said, Maurice Jarre. And I said, wow, how did you happen to know that? And he said, I produced that movie. And I said, that was one of my favorite movies. You know, he'd also produced uh, some lighter fare like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure sure, sure. and Smokey <laughs> and the Bandits and all those kind of movies. Anyway, yeah. he had just produced a Robin Williams movie called uh, What Dreams May Come. Oh, beautiful great movie. movie that, great movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, beautiful. And so anyway... Uh, he and I struck a, up a conversation, and then we met, happened to meet at another person's wedding a couple of months later, and we were chatting again. And one thing led to another, and I had just made a gigantic dot-com stock market win off of, of a startup we backed called uh, Software.com that came out of Santa Barbara and our stockbroker. So we'd been a participant in that from the beginning. And so we were looking for places to invest some funds and we, um, bought a chunk of Stephen's company. So Stephen and I were then officially in business. We beat our brains out trying to pitch to Hollywood studios inspirational movies, like we had the rights to conversations with God, you know, and we had the rights for a little while to a Richard Bach book, Illusions. And, but we got thrown out of more meetings. I mean, you know, metaphorically, oh no, yeah. audiences don't want spiritual content. You know, if they wanted spiritual content, they'd go to a church and nobody goes to church. <laughs> you know, there, there was huh? every argument you could possibly mount. It was all based, nobody wants to watch that kind of stuff. And so Stephen and I got very frustrated. But then one morning in 2003, I was meditating. Oh, I've been a long time meditator since. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, basically for 50 years, um, I meditate twice a day. And so I was meditating one morning. And right after meditation, I just sit there for a while because it's a very clear, open space. And a thought popped up and the pop was, oh, we've been going about it the wrong way. Instead of going to Hollywood to pitch our movies, we'll go straight to the consumer and find great movies that Hollywood won't touch out at the film festivals and um, then send them on DVD to people. This was before streaming took place. You know, that would have that would eventually kind of put us out of business a few years ago. But we ran that business for 15 years very successfully. So but the, my point is that took 10 seconds to come up with that idea. Then I call Stephen because he's an early riser, too. It was probably, you know, 530 by that time. And I said, listen up. I want to tell you something. and. At the end of it, you can say, that's a crazy idea or, or not, but just listen to me for 10 minutes. And so I pitched him the whole idea that all we needed was to hire one scout to go to the film festivals and then somebody to push the paperwork and uh, everything that could be done virtually. There was nothing that we needed a plant for or any or an office for, anything like that. And so I put together 
Uh, and oh, but I, I, you know, I kind of sold him the idea and he said, I love it. Let's do it. And I said, I want to be in the background. Um, because, uh, you know, to me, the company needed one spokesperson and who better to do it than a Hollywood producer who's quit that and is now doing spiritual cinema. And that's what we call it, the spiritual cinema circle. So it was astonishing just from that 10 second idea and a 10 minute conversation. It only took us about six months to put the business together. And so we launched in uh, March 04. And I said in the beginning, if I can get a thousand people to join this thing, I'm going to consider it a success. So the first day we sent out our marketing email telling what it was, we got 2,400 registers the first day, 200, I mean, 2,400 people signed up for it, which was about $20 a month. And so that made us jump around and high five. The next month, 3,500. The next month, close to 5,000. And so we were into profitability very quickly. And that's a great thing, except I am so unqualified to run a multi-million dollar business. You know, I very quickly exceeded my abilities and then I had to, you know, kind of hand it down to a real Harvard MBA type president. And uh, she did a great job of pulling the levers and I stepped more into an advisor capability. But, I, but within three years then, uh, three Wall Street people came to us and asked us if they could help us sell it to a public company. And I said, yes. And so that's where the 10 million came from. So 10 seconds, the idea, 10 minute conversation to get it going, six months of passionate work. And then later on, a $10 million payday, three, day, uh, three down. You know, so and that's what 10, I love. 10, 10, just, just remember that. 10, 10, 10. I, I love this about your work is the combination of factors, right? Like, you know, we talked about wonder and the curiosity that you have, uh, and the approach you take with your, with people you work with in your books about being curious. I mean, I shared this with you uh, uh, about my my interaction with the Genius Zone. There's, a, there's an exercise in here uh, toward the end of the book where it asks you to say, you know, in, in an affirmation type tone, um, I'm, I am grateful for my creativity, right? And at the moment that I was doing that, I was in my zone of incompetence, meaning I was doing the dishes, which I'm not great at, but I had to do them. So <laughs> I'm standing there doing that. I'm listening to the book and I paused it to do this exercise. But, you know, with all of the work you do, when you follow the work you do, it was a combination of that saying that it, you know, the book even instructs like, do this for a minute, right? Take a, take a breath in between, do this for a minute. Well, I needed 10, I needed 10 minutes because I noticed the breath in my throat, in my chest and throat. And the crosstalk, two questions came up, uh, and I, I may not remember. It was like, "What creativity?" was the first crosstalk question. <laughs> like when I said that I'm grateful for my creativity. What creativity? Kind of in a condescending, snarky tone. Whoever that voice was, and the other one was, um, "Oh boy, it was something else that popped up." I had two questions that popped up. I'm forgetting the second one, but but it took me ten minutes to allow the breath to settle. And really kind of say to my, you know, get myself to the point of believing in the fact that I am grateful for my creativity. And I'll tell you, since then, I've been on a tear. <laughs> I've been, on, <laughs> I've been on a bit of a, a bit of a run because I, you know, I've allowed that. So I love that about your work, but it kind of, it kind of goes to this question for the high achiever. What you talk about is, is, you know, you find your zone of genius, you know, you find what it is that you're great at. And you gave us, given some great tactics, go back to childhood, some great tactics to do that. 
So we do this stuff. And as people that are high achieving, GoBundance is, you know, the tribe of millionaires, millionaire entrepreneurs, right? High achievers, driven people. We're really good at application. Okay, I can do this. I can do this. And not only can I do it, I can crush it. I can work hard. I can do all of it. But the reception on the other end is where I've struggled. And I think a lot of people do receiving. So the cycle of abundance is sort of, you know, positive application. And then there's a reception on the other side of it. What is that? Why am I blocked? Why is everybody blocked from receiving? Like, why is it that we can put in such massive effort going back to that term? But what have you found in clients that that people struggle with? I think you've called it. uh, What did you say? A defensive posture, right? Like we resist what's happening inside. What is that? What have you learned from working with so many people over the years? (laughs) Well, first of all, it's very popular feeling resistance to, well, it's like um, your body and your brain are full of habits. And I don't know if you've ever tried to go on a diet, but like I I went on a diet one time and I hadn't thought of peanut butter in weeks. I could have had some peanut butter, but as soon as I went on this diet that prevented me from having things like that, I suddenly had to have that peanut butter. You know, because it was setting up a new paradigm for me. And that new paradigm was in uh, conflict with the old paradigm. So first of all, just notice that that is the normal thing. You're going to hear crosstalk. You're going to hear things that are hard to receive. But here's the why of that, Jamie. How much practice did you get in elementary school, junior high school, high school, college, in the art of receiving. Zero. 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 I yeah. mean, it's a good point. How much training did you get in that whole time in the art of communicating with other people or the art of solving a problem without making anybody wrong? None. That could be taught in the first grade. Yeah. I mean, I know it can because we have a whole thing that people get here called the conscious kids curriculum, and they can use it as a template for setting up a more conscious classroom. Um, So I know for a fact that you can teach first graders how to listen to other people and how to receive. But so first of all, we're out of practice. The second big thing is many of us have limiting beliefs about ourselves that are in conflict with receiving positive energy. Like many people suffer from a feeling that they are fundamentally flawed in some way, like fundamentally They don't feel smart enough or good looking enough or healthy enough to take themselves fully into their genius zone. They say, I don't have a genius zone. Or they say, oh, I'd do that if I could only lose 50 pounds. Or I'd do that if I had a better job. Or I'd do that if I could quit smoking. But wherever it is, wherever you are, you can start by making a heartfelt commitment. That's a key singular focus right there to put your attention on. So anything you want, connection, to get the most power out of your manifestation thoughts. Makes sense. So, all right, we've talked about uh, receiving. We've talked about all these applications. The last piece I want to talk about on this is, you know, in, in the blockage of getting to the genius zone, you talked about what do you most love doing and what makes the biggest difference for others. There's a question in there that I feel like is also um, that people insert, and I don't know if it's appropriate to. So, I mean, you're the expert here. I'm going to ask you if it is. And the question is, how do I monetize that? So I could be great at something, right? I could be great at something and hey, other people love it, but how do I make money doing it? So we, 
that's not it, right? That's not my zone of genius because I can't make money doing that. How do you how do you work through that? Well, your genius zone is actually a pretty big place. It's not a tiny place. And it has fractals of your genius that go into other things. Like, for example, let's say you're a vacuum cleaner salesman. You go door-to-door selling vacuums. I don't know if they have those anymore, but (laughs) (laughs) we used to have one a week when I was a kid. But let's say you're doing that and your genius is in watercolor painting, for example. But the, the space you're in when you're doing your watercolor painting could teach you a lot about how to walk up to that door with your vacuum cleaner. How you go about painting could be borrowed from to how you go about being a barista at Starbucks or being a bookseller at the Barnes & Noble. So importing your genius over into the areas that you can make money in. Borrow from your known area of genius. Let's say you're genius, you just love to play the flute. Well, the way you play the flute could be brought into your work. If you've got a part-time job at Starbucks as a barista, Mm. so importing, bringing your genius over into what you already know how to do to make money. Makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, it's just, yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by the concept. I love what the big leap is. I've had this in my own life going from corporate executive career. And you chronicled this. I'm the guy you talk about, that 40-year-old guy who bangs up against a wall and says, I... I'm making great money. I've got this life. I made. I moved to Michigan from the East Coast for this this position. It's the dream, and I hate it. I don't want to do, be doing this anymore. And um, my big leap was out of that role into things that do serve me. And this is one of them. Despite the connection issues we've had today with the internet, I love this. I love this communication element, and I've I've started to admit to what I feel my purpose is: being inspiring and motivating others to live their best life. Right. So that's kind of what where I get energy, where I could go all day and night and and have those conversations. So your work has just meant so much to me. So I want to thank you for for everything that you put out into the world. I know we got the genius zone. Where else can people find more about you, what you're doing, what you're working on? Where would you like to direct them? Uh, The best place is our home website, hendricks.com, H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S.com. And we have a bunch of other things like a nonprofit foundation to uh, look into that has a lot of free resources. Uh, But everything is uh, keyed off of hendricks.com. So Go there to learn about us and uh, look for us everywhere. You can buy books and hear podcasts and things like that. We're all over the place. Yeah, the Big Leap podcast is fantastic. A monthly pod that, podcast that comes out with you and Mike Konings, which is really, really great. Gay, thank you so much for being on. I appreciate all your time. And uh, and it's just a true pleasure to, to get to know you. Thanks for being in your genius zone. that's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that one to $5 million range, or our champion division at $5 million plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, 
jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon. 